That was too close. You were almost a Jill sandwich. <laughs> You're right, Barry. Thanks for saving my life. Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where we bring you the latest in the worlds of computing, technology, science, and everything else in between. During each episode, a group of Ars staffers will dig deep into some of the issues we are covering on the site. We will also talk about some other stuff we're doing when we're not in the Ars orbiting HQ. On this week's show, we actually have myself, Ars uh, social editor Cesar Torres, as your host, Jackie Chang. Uh, senior Apple editor is not with us on this particular episode, and we are joined by gaming editor Kyle Orland. Hi there. We also have here in our virtual studio Casey Johnston, our contributor. Hello. And we have uh, for this week's episode, uh, gaming on the mind. I have not just a single character favorite of all time i mean i definitely have a few and i think that probably speaks to uh the decades that i've been playing video games how about yourselves yeah i think the whole idea of what makes a a good video game character has kind of evolved over the years you know back in the day uh, most of the characters didn't have a lot of uh, lines of dialogue or there was no audio to speak of uh for spoken words and so it was more about uh, you know the animation and the look and how you felt about the character uh, in that way, and then as as time has gone on, there's been, you know, more movie style characterization. They've tried to you know, turn video games into cinema almost. It's really changed what you think of when you think of a video game character. Those early stages for me were super cool, like the the Atari games of yesteryear. Like mm. it was usually a single humanoid, <laughs> like a little shape that looked like you a man. Like, You're lucky if they were humanoid. Sometimes you just had a dot. Yeah, so, sometimes just a dot. Yeah, like the pong. Um, the pong. Uh, the Pong Dot, would you consider that a character? For sure. I, I would. Uh, it's, and it's super abstract. I mean, I, I love doing that kind of stuff. Like, it's sort of like if you made your own game, like your own board game. <laughs> um, but we all loved, I mean, I, I don't think I grew attached to those characters, but I really loved those, the little Berserk guy. Remember him? Oh, yeah. And the, the evil Otto chasing him down was uh, the, the smiley face. You remember that? Yeah, that induced a lot of anxiety. Even, though it, was, young even heart. though it was just a little yellow face there, <laughs> it was the most terrifying thing. But you know the 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 the, uh, the other bad guys in that video game, as simple as that animation was, it was the little robot with the single roving eye that went around its head. Mm-hmm. That was such effective animation, and I think to me that's the the real beginnings of like you know this could be such a great art form because they felt real to me. Like I was you know sort of in a room full of these little robot things yeah it's the way they fired those lasers too uh, like immediately as soon as you got into their line of sight it was just zoop zap right at you i felt uh, that really added to a little bit of the menace but uh evil auto the smiley face uh, the way he could go through walls was uh just uh, pretty terrifying to me uh I, I didn't play atari games till till much later in my life but even then uh having that guy you know come straight for you bouncing uh that's something that uh, really puts the fear of God into you. Well, and I would put probably, we're looking at probably, let's see, two, under two decades of uh, a lot of characters that look and behave like that. I mean, they're very basic animations in 8-bit or less. Uh, when when do you feel something really interesting started happening with uh, what could be done with these characters? You mean past just the, the old school uh, 
style? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even Super Mario Brothers and, you know, the very first one, it, um, it's not like that he did all that much. There wasn't much personality there. No, but, um, it, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto has talked about this, actually, how um, they, he wanted to add um, character to his face. You know, that's the reason Mario has a mustache is because um, that's the only way you can, you can kind of tell that uh, with those few pixels that he actually has a smile under there. Uh, and uh, he has a hat on because you can't really see uh, his hair moving as he falls down. So uh, it, the way these characters were designed was, you know, kind of held back by the technology of the day but still they tried to get as much uh, characterization as they could even through those little pixels um you know the way mario puts his hand up when he jumps to to hit the blocks most people think he's just hitting him with their head his head but mm-hmm. the fist going up there you know just the way he jumps like that i it, i don't know it it might just be nostalgia but it it really means something to me the way when he, he jumps up it looks kind of triumphant when he lifts his arm like that to me <laughs> well, and I guess, you know, these, uh, since we're going to be going through some of these different categories, I mean, I think we've already gotten started on the best old school character. I think for a lot of people, Mario and maybe Luigi also are part of these uh, best old school um, characters no, from these games. Yeah. Luigi, he's, uh, he's pretty sensitive to that. Just because, oh, he's, he's the, just because he was the second player doesn't make him <laughs> any less special. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, I know. I think you know it, he was just like sometimes the odd bird, but he's he's not. He's he's just he's the younger sibling. Well, he's the one your little brother got. That was the that was the real problem. He you know you would get controller <laughs> too, and that was no. So no one thinks of him as 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 good. But you know it always it back um, when I was growing up. I remember it kind of developed into two factions: the Mario versus Sonic camp. You know, Sonic, when he came around, they, they tried to give him a little more attitude. I remember that, that idle animation he had. If you don't touch the controller for a while, he'll just kind of stare out, out of the screen and tap his foot a little bit. Oh, it was brilliant. Oh, yeah, I remember that. that just awesome. that little thing adds, adds so much to a character. You know, it, you know, it gives him the, the, you know, that stereotypical attitude of the early 90s. And looking back <laughs> on it, it seems kind of really manufactured and... Uh, you know, marketing marketed towards, uh, you know, 12 year olds. But, uh, to me, it really worked. It's like, Oh, this is, this is a serious guy. You know, he's not like, he's not like, uh, Mario. He's, he's, he's cool. He's, uh, not gonna take it if you don't touch the controller for a while. Well, if you have a good character and this goes beyond, uh, video games into animation or, uh, you know, puppetry, et cetera, you can ask any person, you know, what is this character all about? And, if it's been done well, the person can tell you. Like, if I walk up to you and I say, what's Kirby like? What do you say? Hungry? Yeah, <laughs> kind of hungry and fluffy and vaguely friendly, but a little, like, ravenous, right? Yeah, like, I think that they did such a good job with limited um, technology back then. They didn't see it as limited, obviously, but, uh, you know, with, with that few pixels, there's a lot you have to do to make it pass as a character. Yeah, see, I was going to say... Uh, definitely Mario over Sonic, but uh, Tails is the vastly superior sidekick. Over Luigi? Compared to Luigi, yeah. Cool, of course, he can fly. Loved, loved Tails. Loved playing <laughs> Tails. But then, you know, I liked Tails early on, like in Sonic 2. It was interesting because he was kind of indestructible in a way. He, he would die and then just like fly in oh, yeah, a little bit came later, back. which is weird. But um, then they started adding his voice when you got over to the Dreamcast and like Sonic Adventure, and he had this really kind of high-pitched whiny voice and was you know really naive and always getting in trouble and oh yeah he was he was like that in the tv show too i think actually yeah i mean 
sometimes it's better for these old school characters if they just remain, you know, pictures. Uh, you know, you look like even the Mario cartoons, they kind of made him into a, a super Italian stereotype with the, the, all the Mamma Mia's and such. And that, and that kind of came through even in the later games where, uh, you know, Charles Martinet voices him with that, that really squeaky high pitched voice. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I, th- I think I prefer these characters to, to stay silent. I agree. The, the, I had a problem with the voice uh, when, uh, let's see, it was Super Mario, the one with the paint. Um, Sunshine. Oh, Mario Sunshine, yeah. Mario Sunshine, which is a great game, uh, but the, that's when I first really heard his voice used throughout the game uh, for at least one of them that I completed. And it sounded to me exactly like Mickey Mouse. And it started confusing my brain. I was like, he can't be Mickey Mouse, and it sounds like a Mickey Mouse, and let me just paint and... Don't and, talk. <laughs> and it's the kind of stuff he was saying, too. It was not, uh, you know, it wasn't supposed to be Shakespeare, but it wasn't even good, you know, kid-level cartoon writing. It was just a really thin veneer of a story that uh, totally, totally got in the way as far as I was concerned. Yeah, well, you know, I want to uh, mention a little bit about these old-school characters, too. You know, a huge part of the the culture of video games, especially in the console world, was that there was a story for each of these games, but there was there wasn't a lot you could do sometimes in the game to give you the the backstory. So I remember reading a lot through the instruction manuals where they would tell you what the story was, and I really enjoyed that. I, I miss those days because I don't look at manuals anymore. But uh, I got a lot of pleasure out of taking the game home, and while my brother wanted to actually physically play with the cartridge. I would tell him, well, you, you know, you can play the first round if you just let me read the instruction manual first, which he was never going to ask for the instruction manual. But I, that's what I wanted to do when I first got the game, usually. And they would have a lot of the characterization uh, in there, too. You wouldn't know the names of most of the enemies in uh, a game like uh, Super Mario Brothers or Legend of Zelda without, uh, without the manual. They, I don't think they ever really showed up in the game for some of these. Yeah, that was right. almost just more like what the developers called the enemies when they were making them. And they were just like, oh, we'll share this since we went to all the trouble of naming these things. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes they were pretty indistinguishable, but uh, there were a few games where uh, the enemies were uh, really memorable. I'm uh, thinking uh, particularly of, of the Mario series again. It's, it's the easy go-to, but, uh, you know, just uh, I remember memorizing the names of all the enemies uh, in that instruction booklet uh, just... You know, so I'd I'd know what they were, so I could so I could refer to them really, you know, because you know in the game themselves, like I said, they don't have names. Uh, but you have to call them something. So I guess that again speaks to uh, Miyamoto's like characterization because those animations and those faces of some of those characters they could just continue to pop up over and over throughout all the ways they uh, mutate the franchise and. Uh, they're they're great. They're almost like you know Disney characters. You you know the bullets and the the Goombas are always showing up, but the, but the bullets are not called bullets. They are Bullet Bill. Yes, Bullet See? Bill. With a name like Bill, it says something about the bullet. You know, he's a, he's a guy <laughs> named Bill. He's it's like it's like Buffalo Bill. Like he's that he's that out there and like that crazy. You see him like as a cowboy uh, stuntman. Oh yeah, in bullet form. Definitely. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way, but that works. So since we're talking so much about Mario, are we considering Mario to be the best old school character? Does does he count in that uh, sort of old school category? He's got to be the most iconic. He's definitely old school. So sure. I, it's hard to pick anyone over him. 
Yeah, it seems it seems like too easy of an answer, but I can't readily think of a better one. So, I mean, the only one I can think of uh, would be Pac Man. Yeah, because uh, that dominated uh, you know the culture for so many years, and I was a Miss Pac Man fan more than Pac Man. She, she was faster. The the animations were cooler. The the colors were brighter, and she had that that jaunty little bow. She had the little bow, and the music was cool. I mean, I. Yeah, the thing that really distinguishes a lot of these characters back in the uh, 8 and 16-bit days is if you can look at a a silhouette of the character, you know, just black on white, and you can still tell what character it is, I think that shows you really good character design. And, uh, you know, it's not just an indistinguishable stick figure. Even though they only had a few pixels, you can get an outline, and you're like, oh, that's Mario, that's Pac-Man, that's, uh, you know, the Prince of Persia. The writer from Joust. Remember Joust? Yeah. I, I mean that, that that was that's such a cool silhouette. Yeah, you, you can definitely tell who it is. I don't know what I could tell you much about his character though. What what kind of a person is the writer from Joust? Would you say? Only his mother knows. <laughs> He's very brave. <laughs> He's willing to take on all ostriches. <laughs> willing to jump from platform to platform. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you know we we've got Mario, we've got Miss Pac Man, but then. You know, things just kind of speed up and get really interesting later on. And I, I, I don't mean to sort of like now shoot all the way forward, but, you know, we, things get really sophisticated later on. Like there's characters that go out the bat in their first game with dialogue and full storylines and, and plot twists. Um, how do you guys think about some of those characters? What are some of your favorites? Um, I would say my... My favorite is probably uh, Chell's story in the Portal universe. I was thinking, like, every time I thought of a character when I was thinking about this podcast, like, uh, the Portal the portal characters in the universe stand out really strongly for me. Like, the enemies, the comic relief, the main character, even, like, the, the tertiary character, like, um, Ratman. Like, it's all, it's all just so good. Yeah, pretty much every, car- every category we have here, you could put something from the Portal universe in there. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, so, Chell is interesting because like like I was saying earlier, when they open their mouths, it, it kind of ruins it sometimes. And she's totally silent, like uh, like a lot of the best protagonists. But you can still read a lot into her character just by, you know, seeing her or, or taking over her perspective, I guess. Yeah. And you and by the end of Portal, too, you know, a lot of you know, her whole backstory um, and you know how, how how basically unfair her life has been since she got sort of co-opted into this program. But like she's still. I mean, completely under your control, of course, but she's still like, you know, trying to get out, trying to be proactive about her situation. And yeah, and it's just awesome. from the and it's just from the things the other characters tell you about her. It's you know, she's not going through any of the exposition that that uh, characterizes a lot of bad writing, where she's saying, you know, I grew up in this very t- tough family, and blah blah blah. She you you find it out through playing the game. That's one of the one of the things video games do best. I think you lets you inhabit the character. But you don't really find out who you are uh, except through playing that character, through taking over that role and working through it. You, you always start as a blank slate and it, it gets the best games. Fill that in as you go. Yeah. See, I was thinking that that was such a, a at first I thought the scope of this was going to be like your favorite char- like your favorite video game main characters. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I realized what a really hard question that is because so often main characters are designed for you to like inhabit them and to like take their perspective and like like they're like um 
what's the whatever the main girl in Twilight is like they, they purposefully make them sort of nondescript so that you can fill yourself in. So it's sort of hard to say like, oh, uh, you know, I really like Link from uh, Legends of Zelda because there's like nothing to him. Yeah, they're all the best character because they're all you and you're the best. It's a little bit of narcissism there, I guess. There are some that are so iconic, though, uh, where the storylines were written to to show you who these people were. Like Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. is one of my, I've, I've said this before, one of my favorite games of all time. And the they do have a ton of characters, and I they, they change them every time they sort of reboot the series in some way, and it's kind of annoying. But the seven, uh, I just really, uh, it was the right time in life for me. I mean, I, I played that game many hours into the night. So, so which character in particular stands out to you? Sephiroth, yeah. Because the, that, towards the end, you know, where, where you've, it leads up to that big battle, like, I thought he was really cool, and it's not, he's not like your typical villain. I mean, there's, there's a lot of time that's spent in the story explaining to you, like, I guess why he does what he does, and it's still kind of like a little hokey. But uh, I just spent so much time with that game. I grew pretty attached to to them. The uh, the other characters, I remember you could rename them to your liking, and I, I'm, I've never been a fan of that technique. It makes me feel nervous. Like I'm going to pick the <laughs> dorkiest name ever, and I do. I always pick a dorky name. Or then you you know when you were like uh, eight years old, did you ever like change the name to Poop so that everyone would be talking about Poop for the whole game? <laughs> No, I was that, you know, that kid who got mad at his friends for doing that? Uh, you're, ru- you're ruining the story. <laughs> that was me. The verisimilitude of the world is just ruined now, don't you right. understand this eight-year-old friend? It's not going to sync with this uh, medieval castle world that, you know, we're playing, and there was no poop back in this <laughs> castle world. He would, would never name their, their child something like that. Yeah, the interesting thing about Sephiroth is, is he was one of the villains that you ended up really kind of caring about by the end of the game because they, they spent so much time on his backstory and how he was kind of forced into his role, if I remember correctly. He's not yeah. he's not just, you know, a malevolent force for the sake of there being a malevolent force to fight. They really built him up to kind of a tragic figure. Like, he doesn't want this this role as, you know, the destroyer of the universe, but that's what he was created for and it's it's kind of his fate and you you almost feel bad that you have to fight him at the end with that soaring music and all that going on yeah i mean that it just um that was really well done there's also lots of games you know where there's like a a reveal you know about the the character of course like samus from metroid when you find out it's a girl what you know that what spoiler alert (laughs) not everyone has played metroid Says no, no, nobody's ever heard of it. it did you know it's an up-and-coming game? Metroid? Yeah. Kind of an indie, by an indie developer. Hipsters are playing it. <laughs> so they're, they're way ahead. Hipsters uh, are playing it for the second time around. <laughs> Barcades all over America. Yeah, I'm wondering. Well, yeah, I, I um, played that game for the first time after I knew Samus was, was a girl. You know, I'd seen uh, some Nintendo Power feature or something about it, but I'm, I'm wondering the people who, you know, actually play it uh, for the first time right when it came out and got that ending screen, you know, where you have to get, like, you have to be really good at the game to, to find that out. You have to be under two hours, I think, to beat the game. I'm, I'm just wondering what that meant to, uh, you know, a, a whole generation of gamers growing up with, with the default mode that... Uh, you know, uh, men are 
the heroes in all of these games, and then they see uh, Samus uh, with her suit off at the end of the game. I, I don't know anyone who really found it out that way. It, it just kind of spread through the schoolyard. But you know, seeing it on the screen like that must have been really something for for a lot of young people. Absolutely, I I had to see it done, or maybe I saw a picture in maybe a magazine. I I don't I didn't actually play that, that through myself that way. Yeah, and I li- I like the fact no, that it just yeah. kind of became common knowledge pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember people would just tell you like, "Did you know? Did you know it's a girl?" And uh, I like that. I mean that that series is another amazing series, and they they've they've gone now out of their way in the last what twelve years to to fill that backstory and make it even, you know, more interesting. Some of it, has, I think most of it has been done pretty well. Yeah, through, this yeah. is another situation where I think it's better when they stay silent, though. Did either of you play um, Metroid Other M by any chance? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, get, and the, you know what I'm going to say about this. I can hear this. the disappointment in your voice, and that it's, very, it's fully justified. It really ruined a lot of uh, my ideas about, you know, what she's supposed to be like, because it... Wait, I'm it not was, familiar. What ha- what was what was different about it? Yeah, let, let's shed some light on this. With you know, for for from the first Metroid all the way through the GameCube and into the Wii, uh, all the different um, Metroid titles have always featured Samus and her backstory, and there's a lot you know lots of intrigue and people that have double crossed her, etc. But she never speaks, and she's kind of a lone bounty hunter. She goes you know on her own to to um, explore these planets and. Uh, uh, destroy the last Metroid. She's high. She's basically a, a gun for hire, like Clint Eastwood, right? Basically, and she's she doesn't ever get dialogue, even after the hardware and the technology could really support until, it. Until other M, where they may, they let her speak, and it just became something really different for me. The game was enjoyable. I, it's a kind of a fun game for the most part, but the I wish they had just not ruined that for me it's not just letting her speak it's that she's kind of subservient to this um uh, general character i forget the name mm-hmm. now, but uh, he's he's kind of he kind of orders her around and she's she's a good soldier she's like yes sir whatever you want sir right away sir which doesn't fit with her established character at all you know it's it was a different development house they gave it over to um tecmo which makes the ninja gaiden games that's right so, and they tried to build it out as like a, you know a really big story with dialogue and all this, and they they just kind of reset the character into you know whatever they wanted for it, and, and a lot of gamers weren't happy with it. I think rightly so because it, it threw out kind of all the characterization, even though you'd never uh, heard her voice before. There was this strong character that you had a feel for just through the other games that uh, oh. went out the window. And this goes back to you know if you ever hear uh, like like Steven Spielberg talk about. What makes, uh, for example, monsters in a movie like powerful or, or characters that you remember is how you display them, and you don't have to have dialogue or sp- special fancy effects to do this. Like in in those movies, you know, he talks about like if you just see the eye of this this thing, like you'll sort of start connecting it to a character. In the Metroid Prime series, um, the Samus character, she didn't speak. She, you, you could see her backstory, but for the first time you could see inside of her uh, helmet. So there was a reflection of her eyes occasionally right. in the glass. And that to me, I mean, I was like, you've done so much and it's enough for me. Like I can sort of imagine what she's like because she's this loner type, like, and she's just in there. And, um, right. anyway, I, I don't mean to like, suit. Yeah, yeah. I like 
I don't mean to complain too much about the uh, the other M title because I actually did enjoy it, but uh, it they they took a uh, a liberty with it that I was like I don't know if this this per, you know particular change works. Yeah, you know we've been we've been kind of down on speaking characters here, but it's you know it's not always bad. I remember the first time I really felt that that games had grown up, quote unquote, was when I played the first um, Metal Gear Solid game, and. Uh, the, the voice work on Solid Snake by uh, David Hayter in that game. You know, he gave him a real gruff, uh, devil-may-care attitude. Uh, it felt like, uh, again, he'd been uh, a lone agent his whole life. And it really came, that one, it really came through in the voice acting. I don't think I would care nearly as much about uh, Solid Snake, uh, you know, if I play, first played, you know, the original Metal Gear game on the NES where you're just reading the dialogue as it goes out uh, in that case, having the voice acting and actually being able to hear this character really uh, gave him character, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Do we have it like a is, is there like a point in video game history where um, like obviously still not every game by any means has it. But like, was there a point when voice acting really started to um, find its way into games like it really became a thing? Was that? It had been happening on the PC uh, for a while in the early 90s. There were games like um, a lot of the LucasArts games re-released on CD-ROM with um, voice acting instead of dialogue, and uh, the Wing Commander games were well-known for it. But there were a lot of missteps, too, like uh, Resident Evil on the PlayStation uh, is pretty well-known for having some some awful voice acting. And I've I've heard that they were trying to go for that B-movie feel, and it was intentionally bad voice acting. I'm not sure I really buy that, though. It... I mean, it makes it makes the characters memorable, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Yeah, I think that that might have been a case where they had basically Japanese dialogue, which which has its own cultural um, intricacies. You know, it, it, it plays to the Japanese audiences, but then sometimes when it gets translated, it it, it needs extra work to make it sound uh, palatable to Western audiences. And I think they just either ran out of money or time. But uh, I don't buy that. Because then in yeah. later in the series, you know, there, there's some where they've translated pretty well. And I actually was going to mention um, Resident Evil 4. Right. That, that's one of the first games where I actually felt like the voice acting was working for me in a game experience. But, the, yeah, the, his, the history of um, voice acting is, is kind of littered with uh, these uh, really bad experiences. If you play any of the early uh, PlayStation games, really, they... You know, they had all this space and they're like, oh, now we can add voices and we should, but they didn't really put any money or time into it. Sometimes it would be the developers or, you know, their their friends and family. They would just pull them in off the street and, and do it uh, on the cheap. And you can you can really tell there's whole uh, websites of uh, video game voice acting atrocities that uh, we should probably link to, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, I would love to see that or hear that even but but then but then i think metal gear solid came along and really showed people hey you know you can do this right if you put the money and and, uh, effort towards it and i I think that was kind of a turning point after that uh, you couldn't get away with with the bad voice acting as much anymore without being called out on it before that everyone was like oh yeah you know they're just playing around with the cd technology but uh yeah metal gear solid was the turning point for me I also, I'm going to mention in here, because there's, you know, they also had like a sort of a a foundation in being kind of more primitive looking, but uh, all the Pokemon monsters, you know, there are some of my, some of my favorite little characters come from that. And I know that now with um, newer versions that, that play off of the Pokemon franchise that you can make them look 
more uh, realistic or more sophisticated as as cartoons. But um, those are really some of my favorites as well. And it, it's just they don't they definitely don't speak. Yeah, well, except in the cartoon version where they say their name over and over and, and drive parents around the country crazy. Squirtle! Squirtle! <laughs> my favorite was Coughing. We just oh said this word. Coughing! I thought, I thought his name was Coffee for a while because he didn't pronounce it right, but it just had that really low rumble. I remember that very distinctly. But yeah, the, the original 150 Pokemon characters, I feel, were really you know iconic and they put a lot into them, but now they're up to... I don't know, five hundred, six hundred something. They're really kind of running out of ideas. Have you seen some of the some of the latest Pokemon? Yeah, they're no. really they're really phoning it in with the with the Pokemon these days. It's like a piece of toast combined with <laughs> like <laughs> a squash, toast squash. <laughs> that, that's even worse than what I pictured because I thought they were starting to combine like parts of the existing characters. But you're saying they're just taking like uh you know like a, a bottle cap and putting an, an eyeball on it yeah oh, yeah i would have to look them up but <laughs> we'll pretty... have to link to those in the show no i mean yeah i really don't think there were that many like uh, really outrageous uh pokemon in the first 150 but then they just started like it's almost like they had a pokemon generating algorithm that would take two random things and smush them together and uh i am one of my um Friends from College Humor, Caldwell Tanner, started this uh, thing a couple of years ago <laughs> where he uh, had people make up their own Pokemon. We'll have to link it, but there are some really good ones um, with people just like thinking of two random things and like creating evolutions of those things and stuff. It was really funny. It's kind of understandable, you know, when you've gone through hundreds and hundreds of these things, you're going to run out of good ideas. But I mean, they still keep trying. They people want new pokemon you got to catch them all right the, the people want new pokemon is the really, people demand it they're driving so, the machine for old folks we, we want the old pokemon back oh yeah definitely well that was such a great uh way of like taking rpgs to this other level you know where in traditional rpgs the main characters are who you identify with but pokemon has two sort of uh groups you can choose from because there's the actual handlers but then you have the the actual monsters to kind of like you know, provide more. So I thought that was pretty cool. But they they would never actually die. I thought it was always kind of a cop out. You know, they get get hit with these mega you know level ninety nine water beam coming at them, drowning them in in the you know a million a million uh, gallons of water, and then uh, oh uh, Pikachu fainted. <laughs> well, yeah, there was that. They were like virtually indestructible. And then, if you really think about this, I hope I don't destroy anybody's like Christmas uh, memories right here. Uh, it, it, Pokemon is basically like dogfighting, right? In like a sci-fi setting. Oh my god, I never really thought about that. That's basically what it is. Oh no, we're totally overthinking what's what's you know a kid's parable here. <laughs> yeah, what else? What else are podcasts for? It's uh, it's definitely cockfighting, sure. Oh my god, oh my completely god. are blowing my mind right now. So <laughs> terrible. I'm sorry, Casey, I've ruined your chat. We've forcing your chat. forcing animals to fight until they faint. <laughs> until they faint. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The whole room die. is like shifting. They they don't die though. They don't die. We always get them to the, the Pokemon hospital in time. <laughs> so. I, I wanna make a Michael Vick joke here, but it's it's probably too soon. <laughs> I don't know if it is out. too soon. It's been a few years now. Alright, well it's Michael Vick's favorite game then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Oh man! Spot on. Uh, Role playing games. I, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, did you? And, and now, question. So, mm. I'm. I I love them. But 
the actual role playing part where you feel like you're in the shoes of a character. You talked about sort of the blander ones, but did you guys ever actually really experience that when you played role playing games? Like, I, I don't think I ever really did. To me, it was more like there is storytelling happening here and there's a little bit of putting myself in their shoes. But mostly I felt like somebody had written an interesting story around these characters. Yeah, the the console role playing games, especially uh, from from Japan, and then later, even the American ones. You, I don't know, the role playing kind of really doesn't fit because you're you're controlling them, and mm-hmm. but you're controlling them even less than uh, you are in a lot of other genres. You just can choose, you know, attack or potion, and you know you're getting statistics up, but that doesn't really make you feel anything for the character. Oh, he's he's a character with you know strength seventeen. That what does that tell me? Exactly. You, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of story, and that can be done very well. But yeah, I don't know that you're ever really inhabiting those characters. Uh, you're inhabiting them less, I think, than character than even you know, like Samus Aran and uh, Metroid Prime, like you said, just seeing her eyes. Yeah, and, and probably you know, I'm gonna guess that maybe there was a stage in video gaming, video game technology that we were waiting to see happen, which is where people can customize their character, really get involved with like their own role playing in the game. And we, we saw that, right. You know, with um, world of Warcraft and other games where you can really kind of get more into that. Like I, I have to say, I don't play a lot of those games, but uh, I think it would be so neat if you felt like doing that kind of, role play with your character that you could really get attached to them potentially well it all came you know from the original tabletop uh, dungeons and dragons that's where where role-playing games kind of started and back then you really could play a role and you you were required to in fact you know the dungeon master would give you a role and you'd have to stay in character with your character and you know say what they would say and do what they would do in that situation uh that was part of the whole point then when you when they tried translating that over to video games early on they you know they couldn't do any of that they couldn't even come close on you know the atari or the nes or anything like that so they just took the stat system and and kept calling them uh role-playing games and added you know a thin veneer of a story that wasn't anything compared to what you'd have over your kitchen table and then yeah it took really the the massively multiplayer games where you could actually type and talk to each other and their whole you know role-playing servers where people stay in character uh, that really kind of brought it back full circle. Uh, video games kind of caught up to analog games in that way. And there was there was kind of this dead zone of 10, 20 years where role-playing game meant something that was not at all role-playing. Well, you, do you remember in the the first Final Fantasy uh, games, the, the mages always looked like these little short men with the tiny hat? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were basically like little Jawas. I love them. <laughs> I, any character that looks like that, I don't know if people remember Orko and He-Man. Like they're, yeah. they're all like basically cut out of the same. Like uh, you have something for that little uh, that little pointy hood. <laughs> yeah, I have something for it, and the little eyes glowing, you know, <laughs> or a little face underneath it. Yeah, uh, they're just place. incredibly cute. And uh, I, if somebody wants to make a, an amazing new game using a little man inside a robe with a hat like that, please make it because I will buy your game. There's a, there's a lot of characters like that now that you mention it. I'm surprised there's not like a, a fan site for, for people who uh, prefer that look. We should start a Tumblr today. There probably is. I've never actually Googled for it. You're never going to believe this mage.tumblr. Fave mage. Fave mage. Mage rage. Oh, that'd be a great. 
I, I always liked playing the the magician characters in in games. That was I would fight my friends to to do that in those you know the ones where you could actually take turns. Yeah, so so in that way you could kind of play your own role. You you were the magician rather than the uh, the you know the fighter, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just- I, the, the the fighting stuff I I got anxious with all the points and trying to build the, the strength you know like i was like oh no if i just study my potions i can like figure this out and help so the team got, so you got kind of the broad strokes the the stereotypical uh archetypes of the characters you got to choose yeah you know one day when we uh when we play together more we should have like a a graphic of us made in in those tropes of like the, the, each of the characters so I could be the mage, and then we're, we need like an archer. We need a a thief. Oh, I call I call archer. I think or bard. I've I'm always been partial to bard characters. They're very rare. But oh, I like the them. bard would be great. I'll take I the fighter. Cool. I can't if I can't be the mage. Usually I'm the healer, but if not, I'm, I'll take the fighter. He just rolls in and uh, jam on the attack button. Now, huge difference between healer and mage. I know, I know what it is, but uh, it makes me sad that they, you know, get separated so much. They should kind of, yeah, be allowed to, you know, be who they need to be. It depends on the game. A lot of the times, the the healer character also later on will get you know one uh, ridiculous uh, attack spell, which makes up for you know the five points of damage they've been doing with their staff the whole time. I really love that. They really uh, get to unleash uh, the magical beatdown. That uh, you've been waiting for for so long. Mm-hmm. Shadow, Shadow priests, and wow! wow. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. So you kind of. So I mean, I guess there's a little bit of characterization there in just what abilities they give you at what times. So, you know, even though you don't get to create the character yourself, the the statistics can kind of tell a story in their own way, and that the the spells and abilities you have, you know, become part of the character more than you know their dialogue or. Uh, anything like that now there's there's a series i have to bring into this uh discussion because it's not quite traditional rpg it's uh i guess strategy and rpg but the fire emblem series which ran on various uh, nintendo uh hardware and is still running i think those are just amazing games because there are a lot of surprises that the characters have so they turn out to be wonderful people or then they become terrible people and there's a lot of Double crossing, and um, they're they're fantastic. I I still play those games. I think they're really great. Yeah, I'm I'm actually not very familiar with um, playing Fire Emblem, but um, am I correct in the the characters when they die, they're permanently dead? In that sense, they are, they are permanently dead, and it it sucks because then you have to go back to an earlier safe spot, and you, you uh-huh. know you get really attached to them. I think that's kind of the the. Uh, the point where you can tell, like, you know, these guys did a really good job designing these games. And the, in terms of the, the, the gameplay, um, when I first tried these out, I wasn't sure it was, like, my cup of tea, but I, now I think they're great. You you basically do your strategy in terms of, like, the battles that you have. So you position people kind of on a board, and it's very board game-like. And then they, they fight, and, you know, you survive the battle, etc. But then in between, there's all these cool cutscenes with like very uh, manga-ish uh, animation where you find out what the story is, who's who's trying to infiltrate whose castle, etc. And the, I think the writing's fairly decent. There's no um, smoke uh, dialogue like uh, uh, with actors, voice acting. So I think maybe that's kind of why I like it. It's kind of like reading a book. 
but 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 going back, you'll actually reload the save file rather than accepting that uh, your horrible play skills let the character die. And yes, continuing like that. Yeah, but not for every character. You know, some so you're willing like, to let go. Mm-hmm. But if you have like an archer that that game has very cool archers and they develop these magical abilities in their arrows like over time. And when I would lose those, then I would be very upset and I'd just have to go back and start over. And you'd have to complete like, you know, like a whole dungeon or whatever over. But it was worth it. I don't know. That seems like that seems like getting around uh, the intention. You got to go through a hardcore playthrough where you, you actually you're every you, you, you agree never to uh, reload an earlier save. Then, then you're really going to care about these characters, I feel. Oh, man. I think I might have to do that tonight. <laughs> That's I cool. I, I might actually try that. I would, I would take that challenge for sure. That's your own limitation on it. It's, I don't know. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to uh, be ready to say goodbye at any moment. I will have to do that. But now I don't have a, a, a Game Boy um, machine at all. I, I sold my DS. No, oh, you can find used ones. Pretty cheap. Yeah. What do you guys think about these characters of who are are just sort of nebulous things, but they're amazing characters? I, I want to mention Birdo and Cubert in this whole like discussion because who are they? Like wh- who made them? Where did they come from? Why are they like so happy all the time? Where, <laughs> but, where did I see you're talking about Birdo like Super Mario Two Birdo, right? Yeah. Okay, wasn't there a long discussion a while ago about whether Birdo was a girl or something? Yeah, there's there's been a whole lot of discussion over the years about this. It was, um, I think the root of it was something in the Super Mario Brothers Two manual, which um, actually said uh, is is a um, is a girl but thinks it's a boy or something like this. I'd have to look. Oh yeah, maybe it was that it was like the first the quote unquote first transgender character or something like that. Yeah, it actually games. said that, and it, people were very you know kids were very confused by this. This was not you know the type of thing you usually put in an NES uh, instruction booklet meant for uh, uh, little kids. But um, in Japan, it was not uh, as big a deal. Nintendo's kind of embraced it as it's gone on. If you look at um, some of the animations in, in Mario Tennis and such, and it's uh, Pretty, pretty um, over the top with uh, the I way mean, Birdo was handled. In the early '90s, maybe we would say that Birdo was "quote unquote" confused, but now he or she identifies as a boy. Birdo right? has Birdo has pride. Um, Birdo has pride. <laughs> now, now I, mean, I, I want to look this up just just to make sure that we uh, are able to um, let the the listeners know because I, I knew this but I, I couldn't confirm it. Uh, so it's indeed a boy who believes he is a girl because he wears the bow and has the little uh, eyelashes, uh, and he would rather be referred to as Birdetta, according to uh, Wikipedia. So it's just That's it's fascinating. It's, it's so Japanese too, you know, to include some sort of like weird character like that. Uh, but it's been around for such a long time. That's what I think is amazing about Birdo. Like, kind of, and again, it's the kind of thing that was. There's nothing in the game text about it. it that was all from the instruction booklet initially. And that came to define the character uh, moving on. And who who was the other character you said? Hubert. Hubert. Oh, I'm not familiar with Hubert. Oh, I play. I now I really spent a lot of hours in my home playing uh, on my Atari Hubert. Uh, I loved the character. I don't know why. I thought he was the coolest guy ever. He's basically a, a, a little ball, a little yeah. orange ball with a snout. No mouth, just a little snout. And, you know, you, you jump on this pyramid and avoid these snakes. And then if you hit the, these discs, they fly you to the top and you clear the pyramid. 
Yeah, the the real defining thing about so, him for me is that he only speaks in um, you know those little comic book style symbols. You know, the ones at the top of your numbers on the keyboard. Yeah, for for bad words, basically. Well, is it bad words, or is that just you know his language? Is that just? Oh, good question. I don't know. He's I mean, a he's an alien, so we we don't really right. know. I mean, he would say it when he dies. Well, so, hmm. I think I think they were trying to represent curse words, but there, there's a little maybe ambiguity. maybe his lang- maybe it's maybe he's like a parrot, and the only words he's learned in English are bad words. Let that sink in. I think that's that's. If he had been a more be popular, yeah. If the game had been even more popular than it was, because it had some good popularity in the eighties, maybe they would have developed a cartoon like they did some of these other uh, characters, and we would have found out. But now we will just have to imagine it. That would be a great cartoon if he only spoke in curse words. <laughs> <laughs> that could run on a uh, um, Adult Swim. I could picture that actually happening. Or, or oh. HBO, like a real gritty Cubert. Uh, yeah, like Louis C.K., Wanda Sykes, and then Qbert <laughs> as right. a headliner. Yeah, <laughs> don't work, don't work blue, Qbert. You you don't need to do that. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like we could actually do uh, two or three shows of this because I feel like we've just covered the the beginning of so many amazing characters that are out there. Yeah, I think we could do an entire episode on like villains because I think villains are the most like, but. Yeah, but I feel like they're the meatiest category of the categories that we had on on. Well, the I did I did want to talk about this, and I, I I am going to suggest that we we definitely do that as a follow up because there's the villains, and then the the way that villains fit into the the sequence of playing against a boss and how you build up the bosses towards the the big villain. I think that's like such a cool thing, and that's why I love gaming. It's why I keep coming back to it, and. I would love to talk about that in the future. So let's let's make a point. We will let's make our pact. We will come back and and do this. Pinky swear. So say we all. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, well, we are um, at the bottom of the show, and uh, I will post links to various characters and Birdo's story. But uh, do you guys have anything else to uh, to add? Any other um, favorite characters we might have missed? Oh, I got a bunch uh, listed here. Um, Nathan Drake, kind of the uh, king of the cool one-liners, I feel, and, and the new school characters. Um, GLaDOS as the uh, the malevolent force in, in the Portal games. Um, so also a good female character. Uh, Jade from Beyond Good and Evil, just really strong in a way that, uh, you know, felt, always felt more real to me than, you know, the better-known Lara Croft. Um, the big daddies from uh, Bioshock, really strong but uh, we're, we're going to be talking about villains later so i don't want to get too much into that so, yeah we could we could talk about memorable characters for at least uh, twice three times as long as we have let's just cool. make this a memorable characters podcast like that'll be that'll be our topic for the rest of the rest of ever i think that'll work <laughs> <laughs> yeah every week more more characters <laughs> <laughs> works for me uh well I, technology <laughs> uh, <laughs> All I care about is, you know, cockfighting with uh, dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh, my God. My mind Man. is blown now. Pocket uh-huh. monsters. Oh. And Monster Rancher. We talked about Monster Rancher before. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you guys for being on the show, on this particular show. Kyle, uh, you have an appointment with us for the future. Thank you. And um, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.
<laughs> you know, oh, let's see. It's called Badoop. Badoop. Bulbapedia. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, he, is this one of the new ones? Yeah, <laughs> number three. Yeah, this is... that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that that looks really ghetto. They're running out. You know how you, you <laughs> four hundred different uh, original Pokemon. It it, oh it looks like a, a a beaver with like a skin disease. But see, it's a it's a a plump mouse type Pokemon. Like that's not. <laughs> anything to do with a mouse it just looks like it looks like a cross between a beaver and a poodle can i can i change my my online handle from uraka to badoof yeah (laughs) you'll get so much more respect that way uh, (laughs) i don't know that thing is so hilarious i I couldn't resist see i'm sure this is just scratching the surface of the silliness (laughs) of new pokemon yeah, I could probably call tell you all the first hundred fifty, and past past that, I kind of lost uh, lost the thread a little yeah, bit. Yeah. There, it just became too much. Oh, this is really cool. You can actually uh, on this uh, Bulbapedia, you can see the body style. There's all these attributes and metadata that like for each one. That's really awesome. Oh yeah, but <laughs> doof. This can't be real. <laughs> no, it's definitely oh real. Oh my god! And you can see the Japanese names because I always like to compare to see what what they call them in Japanese. Now I'm going to spend like hours on this. <laughs> oh, it's it's so sometimes it's a really different pun in Japanese. I think that just it's hard to uh, uh, get over here. There's a Pokemon called Manectric. What the <laughs> hell is that? That the Electric Man Pokemon? Yeah, the, Ar- Armaldo. <laughs> So they took like Ronaldo or whatever, but they put arm in front of it. So Armaldo. Oh sure, Armaldo. Clay doll. Oh my God, what is going on with this one? <laughs> oh my God, this He's... main actress. What in the name of God? <laughs> that, that looks retarded. <laughs> See, that's like that's, worse like, than that's like a either design by committee. <laughs> like a, like an EV evolution, basically that like nobody really thought through all the way. Like, all the EV evolutions in the original ones were, like, good and good-looking. Yeah. This is just, like, such... This looks like design by committee. Like, oh, it has a main, it's electric, main electric. You want to know the worst part about seeing these, like, sort of weird, kind of chintzy new Pokemon? It makes me want to play right now. <laughs> That's, <laughs> like... The new ones or the old ones? I want to play it all. I, got, I want to get them all now. I want to catch them all. I want to catch them all. Even the, even the stupid ones. Like dust docks. There's a dust Pokemon. It's a moth. Oh my god. I like this one, Combi, which is a, a bee mixed with a honeycomb. <laughs> I just said yeah, you guys. Oh, I remember that, that right one. Now. That's, yeah. uh, that's something else. <laughs>